I'm Al Phil Reese, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of contemporary poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for a poem that interests us, some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Penn Sound archive writing slash pensound. But today, I've taken Poem Talk on the road again, and I'm here in Boston at Harvard University, a happy guest of the Woodbury Poetry Room here in Lamont Library, where I'm joined by Christina Davis, poet and curator of this very Woodbury Poetry Room at Harvard since 2008. Am I right about that? Mm-hmm who oversees four audio archival projects here, the Woodbury Poetry Room Recording Sessions, Woodbury Works in Progress, the Poet's Voice Series, and the Oral History Initiative. And your facial expression suggests that there's even more, or maybe one of those isn't happening anymore, but we'll keep going. Among whose books of poetry is An Ethic, published by Nightboat Books in 2013, and who, I'm happy to add, earned a BA and a Creative Writing MA at the University of Pennsylvania. And by Lisa New, scholar, teacher, writer, critic, avid convener of poetry communities worldwide through her expansive, ongoing, open online course called Poetry in America, who is the Powell M. Cabot Professor of American Literature here at Harvard, whose books include The Regenerate Lyric, Theology and Innovation in American Poetry, and The Lion's Eye, and a memoiristic history, Jacob's Cane, A Jewish Family's Journey from the Four Lands of Lithuania to the Ports of Baltimore and London. And by Rafael Campo, a poet, an essayist, a medical doctor who practices internal medicine at Harvard Medical School, and Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center here in Boston, mm-hmm. whose primary care practice aims especially to serve Latinos, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered people, and people with HIV infection, who is the recipient of many honors for his poetry, among whose books are What the Body Told, Poetry, which was given a Lambda Literary Award and the poetry of healing and the healing art, both prose works, who when asked why poetry notes that, in quote, in biomedicine, we're so good at appropriating the narrative and who thus seeks in verse whatever might be the opposite of that. Christina, thank you for hosting us. Thank you, Christina. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me back at the Woodbury, where I've been a number of times over the years. And Raphael, our first time today meeting face-to-face. Yes. Which is great. It's wonderful. But we work together on an intense project, which is lots of fun, <laughs> and I, I really feel like I know you well. So thanks for doing this. Thank and you. Lisa, dear friend for many years. Hello. Good many, to see you. Many, many years. Great to be here, Al. And all three of you, uh, thanks for doing an episode of Poem Talk for the first time, I think, in each case. Mm-hmm. Yes. Although Lisa and I have recorded some stuff, not not Poem Talk. Well, we're here in Boston, appropriately, I think, to talk about a very well-known poem by Robert Lowell, Skunk Hour, perhaps among the most widely read poems of all uh, those that are featured in um, the now 102 episodes of Poem Talk. This is really a famous one. It was placed as the final poem in Lowell's book, Life Studies of 1959, but it was the first to be completed Uh, It had been published in the January 1958 issue of the Partisan Review, and our recording comes from a July 1958 reading that Lowell gave here at Harvard and is now part of the Woodbury Poetry Room collection, both analog and digital. There is an analog copy here somewhere. 
Uh, before reading this poem, Lowell gave an interesting and perhaps for us helpful introduction. We won't hear it in this episode, but it's available if you just Google Woodbury Poetry Room Listening Booth and find Lowell, and you can listen to the whole introduction. So here now is Robert Lowell performing Skunk Hour. Skunk Hour. Nautilus Island's hermit heiress still lives through winter in her Spartan cottage. Her sheep still graze above the sea. Her son's a bishop. Her farmer is first selectman in our village. She's in her dotage. Thirsting for the hierarchic privacy of Queen Victoria's century. She buys up all the eyesores facing her shore and lets them fall. The season's ill. We've lost our summer millionaire who seemed to leap from an L.L. Bean catalog. His nine-knot yawl was auctioned off to lobster men. A red fox stain covers the blue hill. And now our fairy decorator brightens his shop for fall, his fishnets filled with orange cork, orange is cobbler's bench and all. There is no money in his work, he'd rather marry. One dark night, my tutor Ford, it's spelled T-U-D-O-R and it means two doors, One dark night, my tutor Ford climbed the hill skull. I watched for love cars. Lights turned down, they lay together hull to hull where the graveyard shelves on the town. My mind's not right. A car radio bleats. Love, oh careless love. I hear my ill spirit sob in each blood cell as if my hand were at its throat. I myself from hell, nobody's here. Only skunks that search in the moonlight for a bite to eat. They march on their souls up Main Street. White stripes, moonstruck eyes, red fire under the chalk dry and spar spire of the Trinitarian Church. I stand on top of our back steps and breathe the rich air. A mother skunk with her column of kittens swills the garbage pail. She jabs her wedge head in a cup of sour cream, drops her ostrich tail, and will not scare. Will you come out all right? <laughs> so why does he begin with the hermit heiress? Why begin with that? Um, I guess you could say that at the very end, we get back to another matriarch, the mother skunk. Mm -hmm. But So there's a kind of beginning and end this. But what, Raphael, why, would, why do you think he begins with this hermit heiress? Well, you know, I think this is a way of voicing his, his heritage, his, his roots in this 
effete, perhaps, this declining uh, aristocratic Boston family. And there's a real sense, I think, in those, in those opening stanzas and certainly in that opening image of, of this kind of almost a nostalgia for, for what once was. And at the same time, I think also uh, maybe even a kind of poking fun or a kind of amiable recognition that, you know, this, this time has passed. I, I would disagree with the fact that it starts with the Hermodarus because I, I constantly wish to acknowledge that it actually starts with Elizabeth Bishop mm-hmm. and that the, the poem... Because the poem is d- dedicated is to her. visually dedicated to her. Mm-hmm. That Did there, you read that, that in the performance? And in mm-hmm. very yeah. specific recordings of his, he re-emphasizes that it is mm-hmm. for Elizabeth Bishop. And some, it's true, he leaves, them, it, he leaves it out of some. But I am... Really reminded of that because we have a recording of Bishop as at his funeral service reading Skunk Hour mm. and retelling this narrative of a kind of a different origin story than than he tells in the introduction that you just heard. But um, but I do think she's the third un, invisible matriarchal figure in this. And in his fact, mother is another, right? Perhaps the the, the mother. Yes, a very important part of his life. Let's oh, just sure. stipulate yeah. that. Right? Absolutely. Yes. But I really think Bishop was that. really. Um, as she narrates it, present during these outings to look at skunks, they would take the a motor out to the Nautilus Island to look at, he would point out this house. She paints it much more as a companionship, which this poem seems much more isolated mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and um, Lisa, there, the towardness uh, is interesting, toward Elizabeth Bishop. Mm-hmm. The I'm sorry, I cut you off. Directed toward her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Saves it from hell, yes. is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Lisa, there's a, uh, so there's a lot of feminine pronouns and a lot of references, a lot of words of hierarchy at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? How does that set us <laughs> up? It's obviously very deliberate. Uh, in the introduction that we didn't play, but that is very familiar to us, um, we know that he associated this poem with the beginning of his loosening up, his affiliation with what we now call a confessional mode. He says that it was occurred because he went to San Francisco and hung out with the Beats and saw how loose they were. Is, this isn't really very loose, is it, actually? Well, I, I was thinking first that he, I mean, he's in flight from Protestantism, uh, and from a um, a sort of austere um, and even static and sterile Protestantism that that's embodied for him in maternal figures in his mother's hyper control, uh, so that this this heiress who preserves solitariness uh, and does a faux old fa- she keeps things old fashioned she keeps mm-hmm. things keeps things antique yes. so that they will continue to embody a certain new england ethos mm-hmm. right so yes. that they will and that threadbare shabby gentility mm-hmm. <laughs> that um of protestant new england that manages to spread the whole dynasty out among all the civic roles in the village you get your son to be the bishop and you get your your farmer to I love be that. Your the farmer. first is so, a little serfdom here it does feel very feudal i think mm-hmm. yes oh oh yeah it feels it feels very feudal but there's also the proud embrace of the town mm-hmm. right of mm-hmm. the new england town of a sort of civic duty mm-hmm. of noblesse oblige and it's all that mm-hmm. what that, a funny place <laughs> for a, for a poet who's trying to loosen up and exactly. also, and also, begin to accommodate. He wants his verse to accommodate his mental illness, which is really starting to wow. take hold of him. Mm-hmm. What an interesting place to take to go to a declined 
waspy, you know, like a John Cheever novel yeah. for beat looseness, beatnik looseness. Well, I mean, this know, seems wrong, doesn't it? I think, you know, but my sense is that he creates this kind of foreground against which then the rest of the poem rebels in a crazy. sense. He can go crazy. <laughs> so we, yeah, And yeah, he yeah. really, I think, is creating a, a tension for us in the poem. And it's one of the many bipolarities, you know, you, 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 Mentioned briefly his his bipolarity. Quite, yes, quite a use of yes. word. <laughs> yes, well, you know, for, as a clinician, you know, I I can't help but see how this poem really does reflect his his manic depression and his struggle with mental illness and and in some sense other personal struggles. Of course. I asked this question without my tongue in my cheek. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I I'm gonna, it's going to sound bad. The question, but. As a diagnostician, you just implied this. You opened the door. To this. <laughs> I opened the door. I, Do you I, I see get what things I falling apart here and where? Can you point out, you know, just briefly because we're well, getting there? Yeah, absolutely. So, the, so really, I think you know the first the first four stanzas are, are kind of I think foregrounding and and you know as Lisa was describing just so eloquently, I think you know the sense of this you know declining but yet still you know uh, in some sense you know this sort of tradition these these roots of his and then we get one dark night and suddenly we're you know we're in saint john of the crosses you know the catholic you know this sort of tortured soul and and a lot of the imagery and also some you know rather explicit references to milton uh, and and satan's you know uh, uh, speeches in, and an in Paradise Lost. Sin, and an embrace right? of the carnal sin. You yes. know, these personal. New England has really lost it when it gave yes. away sin. Exactly. You know? And so it's, thought it was all about real estate. Right. And so, what a, what a counterpoint to that, right? You know, he's now embracing or at least opening himself to, you know, some of these tortured feelings. And that's what I think makes this poem so so seminal, so important in that it really broke ground for others to explore those very intense personal uh, emotions. You know, as much as I, I have some, some problems with this poem, you know, I do, I do think that, that Lowell really opened that door mm-hmm. in a sense. Christina, uh, Raphael mentioned problem. He, he sort of stipulated that we have, some of us have problems with this poem. I want to oh. be, so I, I'm just turning to you, but um, uh, the setup, which Raphael, I think, you know, helpfully and correctly identified as the first four stanzas. We've got a scene, we've got some characters. The last character introduced before we have the crisis is a fairy decorator. Um, and he's just kind of a ruthless satire of the fairy decorator. No, Christina, is that one of the problems you have with the poem? Oddly, it's not, but now that you mention it. <laughs> we'll add that yes. to the list. Let's, I would add that make, to my list. You know what? Let's just make a list, a really rough list of the concerns we have. Concerns. Um, oh, that's, right, I'll name one and then you can go. Um, uh, Eileen Miles wrote a very tough poem on the death of Robert Lowell, in which she basically says she doesn't give a shit. That's mm-hmm. the first line. Mm-hmm. But she says, filled with much anxiety about his imagined pain. Mm. So without making judgment about someone's mental illness, the poems are speaking to some people as self-involved, narcissistic. I am projecting my pain onto an entire landscape. Well, anyway, I, in some ways, the That's poem one, is right? about the projection of pain onto the American landscape. I, mm-hmm. I was looking up the mm-hmm. etymology yeah, of the word true. skunk, and skunk is from the Algonquin. And so this idea of property, this contraction around ownership, which starts with Nautilus Island, which mm-hmm. was named after a British warship during the Revolutionary War, it 
puts in immediate uh, contact these two very different notions of ownership and uh, especially around natural resources. I mean, I, I, I will hand to Lowell that he was possibly conscious of that when he did this. Mm -hmm. um, and that is how I also, um, I, so I think this idea, I, I, I have allowed myself to broaden the kind of pain that's being imagined here. Mm -hmm. um, and he does that for us by naming it Skunk Hour. He could have done anything. Uh, he could have called it the Dark Night of the Soul, mm -hmm. and it would have been an utterly different poem. So he had every possibility to call it Skunk Sour. He intentionally left off the apostrophe because they are one of our the moments of dispossession is kind of moment of one species that possibly is capable of breaking this cycle of ownership. What's he doing with the fairy decorator? Oh, Why damn. does that have to be? <laughs> Lisa? <laughs> well, I've always turning enjoyed Lisa, the orange. It's your turn, <laughs> I've always loved the way, the way, um, I've always loved the way Lowell uses orange for New England kitsch. Hmm. <laughs> in in uh, For the Union Dead, too, hmm. there's this, huh. this, I don't know, Earth Mover or something. The pumpkin... The Big Dig in Boston, downtown, in that, in that poem. Mm. It, well, it's, a, it's an the earlier Big Dig. Yes, yeah. it's, a, it's a Big I know, Dig. I know, in the, we're still digging. You've had Big Digs all <laughs> along. <laughs> right, exactly. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. But right. the, 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 in, the inauthenticity hmm. and why, I mean, I have the same problem everyone does with... Uh, He'd rather Lowell, marry. Associating that with the fairy decorator who doesn't even have the courage of his convictions, mm. um, uh, marriage to a partner of his own gender, not an option here. Mm -hmm. um, but I do confess, I really enjoy not only the kitsch of the description of the orange New England, you know, lobster pot. <laughs> tableau but the but the pingy kitsch of the of the rhyme the mm. decorator brightens his top for his shop for fall is fishnets filled with orange cork orange his cobbler's bench and all and this sort of visual matching the, the mm -hmm. predictable mm -hmm. visual matching and the predictable sonic matching I do really love. Okay. You sold so, me. So <laughs> sold here's, me. <laughs> another, here's another kind of rhyme. Raphael, I'm going to turn to you. Here's mm. another kind of rhyme. Um, there are two things that fall. There's the, there's the kitschy in her dotage heiress who buys properties and lets them fall in order to make them look like really Nautilus Island in the old days. She wants but what I would say picturesque. about kitsch is that the fairy decorator is deemed, on the contrary, to do these inappropriate things like... Fishnet filled with orange cork. Actually, that could work. So that would be <laughs> the, the kind line. of... That's not an eyesore. Only It's an only an eyesore if you think it's a fairy decorator who, yes. who, who actually doesn't have the courage of his convictions. And his kitsch is real kitsch, but the, but the Queen Victoria century lady doesn't get to count as that. I, am I wrong in thinking that's a... Uh, it's different stylizations. Yes. He's making fun of, two, of yes. various ways okay. New England italicizes itself. Exactly. Yeah. I'm so like too. Queen Victoria. Oh, right. I'm pumpkin. Yes. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yes. Pumpkin uh, cheer. Yes. And there is also, I think, you know, a, a kind of a reference to the, this sort of the sterility, the way yeah. this is not yeah. a, 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 well, his, a place. His or verb a, is brighten. Exactly. I mean, that's the verb he gets. That's, right. Brighten is great. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, the verbs are so stagnant in the 
mm-hmm. early part of and the, the red fox stain is there too yeah that's, that's, that's kind of an orangey thing mm-hmm. going on all right let's so let's turn to the to the sad lonely stuff then oh really can we do we yeah. have to skip ll bean no do L. so oh, that there's yeah. an, there's another I character to say Lisa. The where summer, the economic our it's, summer it's here you know yeah. the economic the self-italicizing of new england yes. i mean what's more new england than mm-hmm. the ll bean um, catalog. catalog. Specifically Maine. This is not a sign on is in Maine. And L.L. Bean is Maine, right? Am mm-hmm. I wrong about that? Mm-hmm. You're right about you that. Right about that. Yeah. Yeah. I was also going to say that when I was looking at that again, um, that section, I realized that all of this is a catalog. Essentially, the poem yes, is in some ways exactly. a Whitmanic catalog. And that, I think that's why he thought he was breaking out, because he really, mm-hmm. he's kind of breaking out into this list. It's kind of just a long, the whole that's beginning of the poem is just a long mm-hmm. list yeah. of either owners or Brands. We get to the hill skull. It's night. People are, the love cars, I presume, are young people parking, mm-hmm. making out, we would say. That makes him feel alone. Mm-hmm. What's happening there? Is that just an easy setup for that kind of special loneliness? Yeah, I think that's it's a little uh, creepy, isn't it's it? A little, it's a little creepy. It's certainly voyeuristic, I think. It's, it's, it's a way that I think Lowell is communicating to us both through, you know, comparison of his own sort of lonely state to these, you know, these, these kids hooking up in their cars. And, and, uh, and there's also, I think, uh, they are hooking up, they lay together. Hold, yes, hold. Yeah. This is more than making out. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're hooking up for sure. And, and the think, cars are hooking up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So there's, there's, and, and there's a way in which I think the, that particular image hole to hole, I think really does exclude this speaker, you know, Lowell's not part of this. Uh, if I were a creative writing teacher circa 1958, I would take my red pen, I think, <laughs> and it's quite an if, actually, think about that. I would take my red pen, I'd circle the ellipsis, and, the, and my mind's not right, and I would say, question, you've demonstrated how lonely you feel and how things aren't going well. Why do you have to tell us? Mm. I mean, my mind's not right is a powerful line. And I remember as a sophomore in college thinking, bam. Wow. But is it necessary? What, Mm -hmm. what, is this what confessional poetry is that you set it up, you imply the feeling Christina, and then, and then you say it again. Uh, well, he's in a world of saying it because he goes right into mm-hmm. uh, the 1950s um, music scene and, and how love, people are okay, saying it love. and, and mm-hmm. gyrating with their bodies uh, to express it. Um, I had never noticed those ellipses, which is odd. Um, <laughs> now I'm seeing them everywhere. Um, but I, uh, I too, that was the line of admission into the poem for me. That was the admission ticket, I think, for a a whole generation of people I think and so. and um it's a crucial line um oddly it's like four syllables unless you go minds um i i think it's um um for me after all of the obviously the possessive things that we've been noticing um to claim both this moment of possession of one's mind at the very juncture of dispossession which is madness um is just a really interesting claim and i think that's what what uh, draws me in at that mm. juncture. Lisa, let's get to the um, Milton. I myself am hell. This is Satan. Mm-hmm. Book four of Paradise Lost. Mm-hmm. Why does he use it? What's the I, effect? I think the gothic, kitschy creepiness of of these stanzas derives, of course, also from how sex and death mm-hmm. are sleeping with mm-hmm. each other. Mm, that's nice. <laughs> right? And if the 
I don't know, the message of Paradise Lost and all false stories is that the fall is fortunate in a way that death gives us, bestows back on us desire. Mm-hmm. He's got the, the, that the graveyard is shelving on the town and um, the love cars are there coupling hull to hull. There's something wrong about that. And if, if you know, poetry, this whole tradition of poetry begins in a whole tradition anyway, romantic tradition mm-hmm. begins with the fortunate fall, this recognition that from death <laughs> comes all life, all desire. I think his mind isn't right because he doesn't, he's just got them all, he's got them twisted up. It's not that death is the it's mother the, of beauty, it's that death is the mother of skunks. And the death <laughs> is, death is um, eroticizing, mm-hmm. is eroticizing, the, there's, there's necrophilia here, this mm-hmm. Poe, it's not just Milton, it's Poe. It's not just, these are... So, I mean, interestingly, in another recording, he says this moment is Whitman. He's doing Whitman in that moment when he's looking at the love cars, which I assume is the bathers. Or the sleepers. Uh, 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 or the, the sleepers. sleepers. So it's interesting, the moment that I think of him as most satanic and trapped between these two ontologies is also this I moment when, he, I, when he thought he was being the most Whitmanic. I don't think he's being, but, because the, the nakedness, the mm-hmm. beautiful sleepers lying unclothed and this speaker passing mm-hmm. over them, Yes, there is the voyeurism, so I get it. I guess it's a legit claim for mm-hmm. Lowell to have made. And yet, there's, Whitman, sure is cleans- either, yeah. Whitman is cleansing the sleepers with his Christ-like mm-hmm. <laughs> glance. And somehow Lowell seems... His mind's not right. Contaminated by it or <laughs> yeah. disturbed by it. And or, contaminating or, or, it. And contaminating it. He's He's... Entering into these uh, experiences in a way that, yeah, isn't isn't just quite right. I think Raphael, you you spent a lot of your time in primary practice um, encouraging patients, especially those who have stories of marginalization and internal pain, to either use poetry as readers, but I imagine also as writers mm-hmm. to figure it out, help understand it. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that makes you pretty sympathetic to the project. Can you say a little bit about that? Sure. I think that, you know, I am in some senses sympathetic to the project. I, I am also at the same time wary of a notion of poetry as therapy. And and, and while I, I certainly value Lowell's uh, opening again of this kind of territory to the poetic impulse, uh, I think at the same time, you know, poetry, we have to really... Th- be careful about how we think about poetry as healing. I, I think that uh, that that as as Christina was saying, there's a way in which you know this experience is projected upon the reader in a way that feels perhaps a little bit like what we're saying. You know, this relationship he has is with the with the kids in the cars, and 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 that you know that kind of projection of I think is. You know, it's potentially problematic. When I guess a, what I'm saying a, is, it's a, not a straightforward. You know, like when a person write a poem and I'm, from I'm, mental I'm, illness yes. tries to convince us that everything around us is ill, everything around us is problematic, especially if there's paranoia there. I'm not saying that Lowell's paranoid, but I'm just saying that if if a paranoid writer or expressor says the whole world is out to get one wants to say you really it's not doing anybody any good to project on all of us exactly. what's happening to you is that relevant to our understanding of this. One dark night, my Tudor Ford climbed the hill skull 
I watched for love cars. Lights turned down, they lay together hull to hull where the graveyard shelves on the town. My mind's not right. A car radio bleats, love, oh careless love. I hear my ill spirit sob in each blood cell as if my hand were at its throat. I myself from hell, nobody's here. I think for me, understanding this historical moment mm-hmm. <laughs> in American culture really and in Lowell's it, yeah. career, and to think, when I think about how radical it was for Ginsburg to howl mm-hmm. or yes. to yes. Um, you know, describe the pain of sexual ecstasy in the 50s that were always smiling, right? Mm-hmm, you had to mm-hmm, say, okay, yeah. the end of this decade, we, we're going to bring the 50s to an end. And to feel that the culture made me crazy. The culture, yeah. and the culture, Lowell was certainly not alone. I mean, I think w- mm-hmm. we might say he's projecting his dis- dis-ease all over the New England landscape, mm-hmm. but then the whole a whole generation wouldn't have followed him, and yes. <laughs> they did, yes. right? Yeah. This is Eisenhower's America. This is, um, th- this is the world against which everyone will the be The Ice revolt. Age, he refers to it yes. in another poem. And yeah. I think, yes, I, I think you're, what you're saying is absolutely right, Lisa, and that, that, you know, indeed. And also, you know, just if we think of his, his family history again and the, the kinds of, you know, archetypal family structures. Yes, <laughs> and there was guilt, and there was guilt that was unarticulated, that was unexpressed. And, and this poem does that. It, it expresses it the... It models the possibility. Poem. It models the possibility. Mm-hmm. And I think for Lowell, perhaps it did actually express a personal sense of of dis- despair or or again this sort of my mind's not right you know that 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 one of the reasons i think that line is so compelling even though it 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 recapitulates what he's already really shown us in the poem uh and and in that sense as a, as a craft a matter of craft perhaps is 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 gratuitous or or not necessary but but that he said it and that as, yeah. as you were saying mm-hmm. christina that that he found within himself the wherewithal to 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 make that admission, in a sense, uh, is is really extraordinary. I was thinking of this this wonderful line by Agamben that um, has been really useful to me, and that 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 the first thing a poem communicates is communicability itself. And I do feel that what Lowell manages, in the, and that's why I guess the, the bishop is is central to me, um, that it is a communication out from this toward someone who can receive it. Um, so I do feel sort of immensely hopeful um, from that. And he loosens himself he, uh, from voyeurism. Right. right? It's, this is, it's I mean, the image skunks are image. essentially an admission of a, a stepping out from voyeurism. I mean, essentially, the mm-hmm. fact that they don't scare means that he tried to scare them. So that's the first relationship he mm-hmm. constructs in the entire poem is to step yes. out. Nobody's onto- here, dash, only skunks. Only so they yeah. are here. Yeah. And I'm that one. they're impervious, and I'm yeah. a skunk, and I'm one of them. Well, but I stink. Yeah. yeah, and I stink, <laughs> and it's my garbage that is getting you know. That's sort right. Of yeah, I've always thought here. it's like and, not and, skunk or our, but our skunk. I mean, yeah. it's sort of our collective <laughs> right. shit. Yes. Stink. Yes. Yeah, stink. Yeah, and, and we stink. We stink. Mm-hmm. And the nation stinks. We stink. Human yeah. beings stink. We've yes. sanitized everything. Exactly. I think that's really right. What season is it in the present tense of the poem? I assume fall. fall. It's fall. Right. Yeah. She, the matriarch, is referred to as living through the winter 
at on the island. The summer millionaire is gone, and the fairy decorator brightens his shop for fall. So it's autumn. So here we are. It's midway up the coast, pretty far up. Um, it's off season. Mm-hmm. And so people have gone, not everybody, because they're teenagers in cars. Mm-hmm. And Lowell, what's he doing there? So he's yeah, really. there, he's there, and he's, <laughs> and he's sort of understanding how the people deal with their <laughs> kitsch and their junk and their eyesores. And the poem ends with, you know, the skunks come out. They're not there in the middle of the summer, probably, because there's just too many people. But they are... They're taking over. It's very sci-fi, mm-hmm. 50 yeah, sci-fi. Like, yeah. The skunks are coming. I don't Dawn know why I added that. Yeah, it is, yeah. it is 50 sci-fi. Yes. That's really and great. And the way their eyes are they're lit up. And they're, 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 yeah. they're sort of pilgrim. Yeah. They feel like invaders. It's yeah. an invasion of the garbage it feels like something. <laughs> it does. It, he has become, it's an invasion. It really he is. has become a pod. It seems to me, to mm. mix the sci-fi metaphor, <laughs> it seems to me that we get a moment where Lowell is now... 58, 59, 60, 61. I mean, there's hospitalizations, there's attempts at treatments that include lithium, that make him a little wonky. Um, I have read a thousand feet from here at the Houghton, all the letters from his wife to his mom while he's Mm. in hospital. And wasn't pretty. Yeah, and and it's so heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking, yeah. he went through and what his wife Elizabeth Hardwick went through mm-hmm. and he oh, wrote and this the, and the mom of course it's a she's not a she's not a nonpartisan recipient of these letters so this is just so anyway why am I saying this oh so the so We're invasion of the body I mean invasion of the body snatchers he has been he's been oh. given the meds he's been given the treatment and mm-hmm. how he's you can almost tell in the 1958 reading here somewhere at Harvard in July. Yeah, he was probably You know, medicated. I'm not myself. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. And, and he's speaking like Alan Tate. Yes. Which is so channeling Tate. It's so southern. Why is he being southern reading this New England poem as He's at least a half octave higher than normal. Well, look, we could talk about this forever. Um, happily, I think, but I'd like to invite each of you to just say one more thing that you had planned today to say and didn't get a chance to. And I think you wanted to say something about Maine. I did want to say something about Maine because I am a kayaker. And so I decided one year to kayak in the same bay that the Oppens uh, used to sail in. Which is not far In the summers, which is the same town uh, in Castine. And uh, so I happened... George and Mary Oppen. George and Mary Oppen. Who liked the water. Used to sail uh, in Castine. And they... And one summer, they happened to be introduced to Robert Lowell. What interests me was was what two such opposite poets received from the same landscape. Can we just set up the differences? So Oppen uh, starts with language. This This is hard. (laughs) Non-narrative, associational, sometimes uh, likes parataxis, uh, drawn to images, and Lowell. At this point. Things are coming from the gut or the heart. So there's something lyric or narrative about it. Yeah? Yeah. I'd also say um, uh, Lowell's also, uh, often aggregating everything sort of inward, and um, uh, maybe Oppen is sort of atomizing mm-hmm. the possibilities of numerousness you know, mm, outward. Uh, so and, the idea of islands as a more of a, a, a multiplicity yeah. as opposed to a, a singularity is... And also Oppen... In one of his main poems, which we've done a poem talk about, 
a long time ago, he talks about other people. He talks about a fisherman who mm -hmm. takes him out on a skiff. He says Maine he, equals existing among people. Exactly. That is his And I think Lowell is really not talking about other people. We've got cardboard characters exactly. in that Exactly. They're almost props. That's great. Raphael, final word, final thought? Sure. I think um, for, for all of its shortcomings, uh, I do want to emphasize, I think, that, that Lowell in this poem did do something very important for American poetry. And, and, and I think of some of the poems we, we might not have if it weren't for him. I think of Sexton's work. I think of Celia Plath and, and the way in which he, again, provided perhaps a kind of opportunity to, to voice these kinds of experiences. Now, again, in, in Lowell's poem, there's perhaps still a, a block there. There's a, a distancing that, that is, is, for me, part of the challenge in, in, in reading that poem. Thank you, Raphael. Lisa, final thought? The second to last line in the penultimate stanza, under the chalk dry and spar spire. Maybe everyone else noticed that he's, that sparse <laughs> is in there yeah, too, yeah, yeah. as well. And since for me, this poem is, a, is in revolt against New England's sparsity, that and yet some of its best lines are sparse. They, yes. This is an honor to Gerard Manley Hopkins. I just love, it feels like I a love his essence. playthulness. This, yeah. poem, this mm -hmm. poem is full, and maybe he's getting through the day with play. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, in the spar, it's nautical. We've had, the, there's this nautical three, this theme that's run through the poem with the cars that are, that are hulls. Um, Yes, the spire does look like a spar, but it's also sparse. And that sort of play mm -hmm. um, always delights me in Lowell. Tudor, I actually always so enjoy brilliant. that, that pun, you know, that how pun, gothic, yes, yes. oh, that gothic Tudor Ford, the way those big old 50s cars do look like Tudor Massive when they were tutor. new, they looked like they were throwbacks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's really true. Which exactly. goes along with the whole Nautilus Island. Yeah. And the branding. Um, mm. And finally, so my last is that I never noticed, and again, maybe you all did, that she drops her ostrich tail. I was like, what is an ostrich tail? Usually ostriches bury their heads yeah, in the, the sand. sand. Oh, nice. And so instead, the head is buried in the sour cream and the uh -huh. tail that the ostrich it should be the it's it should inversion. be the other way around mm -hmm. which which goes I He's think really to, disoriented. The, to the <laughs> ass backward quality <laughs> that, that More I profanity, was good. that I was thinking about with how sex and death have gone disorganized in the stanzas mm. above mm. um Great. and there's still that cleverness New England does have its head in the sand, yeah. but it, so, yeah. so all of that is coming together in yeah. this yeah. last mm, image yeah. of the ostrich tail. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That is great. Yeah. So Thank I you, admire Lisa. him. That's yeah. great. Um, I admire his investigation into misery. You know, the definition of being miserable is that every way you turn, presumably towards something that might relieve you of your misery, uh, there's more misery, right? So being when if you are yourself hell, it's because every way you turn, it's hellish. And he gets that from Milton, and of course there's nobody better at that than, than Milton. So here's the line, here are the lines from book four of Paradise Lost. Which way I fly is hell, 
myself am hell. And in the lowest deep, a lower deep, still threatening to devour me, opens wide, to which the hell I suffer seems a heaven. What could be more hellish than your hell seeming like heaven? Like heaven. Well, we like to end Poem Talk with a minute or two of Gathering Paradise, which is a chance for several of us, or all of us, if you're brief, to spread wide our narrow hands to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world. And I can see Raphael smiling, and the two, other two of you are rolling your eyes. So, Raphael, you oh, first. Well, I can't help what do you but, recommend? What, but make a plug just generally, I guess, <laughs> I, I suppose, for for the health humanities or, or the humanities in medicine. We are in the midst, I think, of a of really a kind of a sea change in, in the way we think about medical education and, and using the humanities. Literary writing, poetry in particular, is a wonderful way for us to think about some of these very issues. And and really, you know, it's, it's a kind of a disruptive technology, just in the way I think uh, I admire Lowell for disrupting the 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 American poetry of, of of his moment by investigating these personal issues and and so I wanted to make a very broad comment about how important that is and I hope all of your listeners will support those efforts in in changing medical education by by use of the humanities. Thank you, Raphael. Christina, oh, sure I am flipping through the pages as we speak, but I did want to put in a word for this many word uh, titled That's book. That's the new book, isn't it? By C.D. Wright, mm-hmm. which um, is uh, essentially one of the most magnanimous texts and unfortunately ends up being a summation um, of this great poet C.D. Wright who passed away about a month ago on January 12th. Um, the titles within it are Spring and All, Spring and All, Spring and All, Spring and All, Spring and All. And um, uh, it essentially is an extension of, of just her her friendships um, and this idea of company, essentially this Creelian idea of company that extends far beyond the page. And I just cannot recommend a book more highly. C.D. Wright, the book is 2015. At least I read proofs of it in 2015, but it might be dated 2016. And is it? That is the title. And the title <laughs> is The Poet, The Lion, Talking Pictures, El Feralito, A Wedding in St. Roche, The Big Box Store, The Warp in the Mirror, Spring, Midnight's Fire, and All. C.D. Wright, the late C.D. Wright. Lisa New, gather some paradise. (laughs) Um, Poetry crops up in surprising places. Um, And so I want to to share with you uh, where I was a few days ago. I was on the soccer field with Anson Dorrance, the coach of the women's soccer team at the University of North Carolina, coach of legendary coach of Mia Hamm uh, and dozens of championship teams who inspires his players uh, to uh, new heights of accomplishment by uh, holding book club with them every week and by reading and thinking about poetry. Uh, with them, and so uh, one for the team. One, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you one, traveled down there to I, speak I, with I him. traveled down there to uh, read a poem with Anson and girls on his team, uh, a poem about about soccer. But Anson uh, wouldn't let me go without sitting and reading Rilke with me, mm-hmm. uh, and poetry is everywhere. 
It is. Thank you. And I'm just going to gather paradise about the three of you, okay? Christina Davis has done a miracle with the Woodbury Poetry Room and is doing all kinds of cool things here. Woodbury Poetry Room, come to Harvard, come to the Woodbury Poetry Room, contact Christina and her staff. You can see and listen to some of the recordings that are classic here. There's some wonderful books. Um, it's just a, it's a, does a, 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 a room. And Lowell used to come here. And Lowell was and here. And read the journals and write to Bishop about them. And the um, and the room was designed many years ago. It's got this gorgeous mod. It just is a great place to be for poetry. And I know you do a lot of events. Raphael, uh, the stuff you're doing in your primary care practice is extraordinary. And you're uh, integrating um, the world of poetry with that um, is an inspiration. And uh, we're new friends, but friends indeed. I really yes, admire thank you so what much. you do. And Lisa, Poetry in America is now about to become a seven-part series, and there are many other projects associated with it. So you just have to Google Poetry in America. It's available through HarvardX or edX, however you want to describe it. That's the platform they use. And you can go all the way through poetry in the United States from the beginning to soon right up to the present. Yes. So thanks so much. Congratulations. Al. Yes, thank you. To uh, all of you. Also, yeah. Well, that's all the buying up eyesores we have time for on <laughs> Poem Talk today. Poem Talk at the Writer's House is a collaboration with the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writer's House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests, Christina Davis, Lisa New, Rafael Campo, and Christina for hosting us here in the Woodbury Poetry Room and to Poem Talk's engineer today. Well, that was me myself first time <laughs> and to and leah of course thank you and to poem talks editor zach cardner next time on poem talk episode number 103 we'll be back in philly where i'll convene rachel zoff erica kaufman and eileen miles the aforementioned eileen miles to talk about four short new poems by simone white this is al phil reese and i hope you'll join us for that or another episode of poem talk <laughs>